The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Get healthy and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. In the buffet line or at the outlet mall, when you're leaving a voicemail message or explaining your position, when you're flirting with a fella or salting the soup, stop just before you want to just before what you think the stopping point is. That way, you'll never overstep it. I wrote that in my book, Living a Charmed Life, and it applies today because we're going to be talking about healthy living, which sometimes calls for stopping just before we overstep. I'm Victoria Moran, your host for this program, and if you're new to the Main Street Vegan Show, welcome oh so very much, and welcome to people who aren't new, too. In fact, golly, people who are regulars, we appreciate you so, so very much, and if you love this show as much as I love doing it, and you feel like leaving us a wonderful review with five stars on it over there at Apple Podcasts, That would be greatly appreciated, and I promise you that we will pass your kindness on. So if you are new and unfamiliar with what goes on at Main Street Vegan, I cordially invite you to check us out at MainStreetVegan.net. You can read our weekly blog, which this week is by Sonia Sidke. She's a master level certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator from Main Street Vegan Academy. And her blog is about hosting vegan potlucks and how that can be a really big deal to carry the message in your local community. So do check that out. And you can also read at MainStreetVegan.net about Main Street Vegan Academy, about our upcoming documentary film, A Prayer for Compassion, to introduce vegan living to people who identify as religious or spiritual. And you can also subscribe there to our blog and our newsletter and just kind of get in on the inner circle. And speaking of inner circles, to make it even more inner, we have a new Facebook group 
Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners, just for people like you who listen to this program. So do check that out. It will be wonderful to see you there and get to know you better. But what about all that health I was talking about that we're going to be talking about today? Well, we're just about to jump into that with my guests, Adam and Shoshana Hyam, who are the plant trainers. They help people improve their quality of life through nutrition and fitness. They are plant-based nutrition consultants and personal trainers coaching people through their online business. Shoshana helps stressed parents and families overwhelmed with physical or, or mental illness embrace a more holistic, plentiful lifestyle to create more calmness and health in their lives. And Adam helps individuals with their nutrition as well as coaching endurance athletes to achieve their next goal. Welcome, Adam and Shoshana. Thank you so much. We're grateful to be here with you. Thank you, Victoria. Well, it's, oh, it's wonderful to have you, and we've done this the other way around. I know you had J.L. Fields, my co-author of the Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook, and me on your wonderful podcast this past winter. That was really, really fun. The we Plant Trainers podcast. Everybody check that out. So let's begin at the very beginning. Adam, you have had an overcoming Tell us about that. So, yeah, it's been quite a journey, quite an experience. And uh, I, I really started, this transformation started, I'd say, about eight years ago. But my journey into health and fitness actually started when I was probably younger than 10 years old. And I was always into sports, and I had the pleasure and opportunity. I'm so grateful that I was able to participate in all kinds of team sports growing up. I was never the best at anything, but I was very lucky that my parents allowed me the opportunities to try things and experiment with different sports to see if I liked them. And I did. I excelled, I liked them, I, I enjoyed participating, and I mainly focused on the sport of ice hockey and the sport of volleyball once I got into high school. And I had a difficult childhood in the fact that I think I grew up way too early, and I learned how to become disciplined. Uh, my parents separated, and I had to take care of my brother growing up which taught me a lot of discipline, and that's what I guess I drew from later on in life. Uh, once, seven years ago, my life had changed, and seven years ago, I was sitting on the couch, and I was watching football, and I had this pain running across my chest, and I didn't know what it was, uh, but it, I felt like I was too young to be having a heart attack. I, I know the symptoms of it, and... So I decided to go to the hospital to check it out, and I'm not one to go to doctors. Uh, this was a very difficult thing for me to do, but I thought I, I, I needed to do that. And I went there, and they did some testing, they did some ultrasounds, and they sent me home. And, and you know, here I am, uh, seven, eight years ago, I was 37 years old, and I, I was a health and fitness teacher in a high school. I, I taught physical education. I'm a healthy guy, or so I thought. 
and this kind of thing shouldn't be happening to me. So I, I went on with my usual day. That pain went away a few days later. Uh, so I guess I just chalked it up to a muscle strain or something from a workout. And I went on with my regular life. A couple weeks later, I got a phone call from a doctor, from my doctor, who said that uh, I needed to come in immediately. There was something that we needed to discuss. So Shoshana and I went to the doctor, and he said, uh, you have a tumor on your kidney, and it's uh, very serious, and we need to deal with it immediately. So he (laughs) told me it's most likely that I have cancer, but we need to do more testing. So they set me up with a few surgical oncologists, and uh, those surgical oncologists that I went to see, I wanted some different opinions because the first one told me that they needed to remove my entire kidney right away because it was a hemangioblastoma, a very rare type of tumor that uh, I didn't want to have in my body. So whether it was cancerous or not, I should remove it. And so I went to, we went to a second opinion who said he could remove the tumor itself, but that might cause more complications uh, and we may want to remove the entire thing and he could do it right there at that moment. There was an operating room available, uh, but I didn't feel good about that. So we went to someone else who said that he would do a biopsy first to find out if it's cancerous or not and then we can go one step at a time and that obviously made the most sense to me and that's the route that we chose to take. Uh, They did the biopsy, and uh, it turned out that it was a benign tumor. It was not cancerous. However, the doctor also told me that it's a very rare tumor that's associated often with this rare genetic disorder called von Hippel-Landau disease, and that causes small tumors to be deposited along your central nervous system, It eventually takes over your body, and by the age of 40, most people don't survive. And so this was heartbreaking, of course, because at the time my wife was pregnant with our second child, and I couldn't imagine having our family grow up without me being a part of it and being there. Uh, So I called up a friend of mine who is a neurologist to find out about this VHL, this von Hippolandau, and what I could do about it, and if it's really possible that I have it. And he said, go to an ophthalmologist and get a retinal exam done, because through the eyes you could see how the body is really doing, and you could see the arteries and, and, and get a good picture of what's going on. So I did that. I went to an ophthalmologist. I got the retinal exam done, and she told me that it looks like you don't have the VHL. I didn't have the VHL. There's no signs of it. However, it looks like you have the beginning stages of heart disease. And I couldn't understand. It didn't make any sense. I I was a nutrition. I was a a fitness teacher, a physical educator. I was active. However, I, I learned a lot about myself as I did the research to figure out how I could make changes to my lifestyle without taking all these medications that doctors wanted me to take. Um, And so basically that was 
the catalyst at that point that got me to transform my lifestyle to going fully plant-based. I started doing the research. I started watching documentaries. I started to learn about the power of food and how what you can consume will either heal you or harm you. And I then read a book by Brendan Brazier, a Canadian triathlete, champion triathlete, who did everything plant-based. And then I decided at the same time I was going to stop with all the team sports and activities I was doing, and I was going to focus on myself. I was going to start running. I was going to start biking. I was going to learn how to swim. And throughout the years, I ended up, I've done two Ironman triathletes to this date, and I continue to work on endurance and do endurance sports. Um, And then I, I had gone three months, every three months I was going for checkups of the tumor size, and after the first year, there was no change, but after the first year of eating fully plant based, the tumor had started to shrink and the doctors couldn't understand what I was doing or how it was happening. And it was all the power of food that led me to the tumor shrinking and eventually the doctor saying that I no longer had to come for checkups. Uh, Those three months turned into six months, turned into one year, turned into two years, turned into him firing me and never wanting to see me again. And the retina, I went back to the ophthalmologist a year after eating plant-based and my arteries were now brighter red and thicker and the blood flow was better and the signs of heart disease were gone. And so food has become critical to my life and the work that we do as a family and we try our best to help people improve their quality of life through the food that they eat and through the exercise that they take part in. That's the nutshell. Wow, what an inspiring story. And I think it also shows what can happen when somebody makes this change early on. I think that most of the young vegans I know are simply ethical vegans, which is great and fabulous, but they kind of look at the health thing like, well, that's for somebody else. And yet, if you can make that change when you're still younger and really vital, the the results i mean the results are always great but certainly when uh, you started when you did they can just be beyond the beyond so what kind of nutrition were you teaching before you had this diagnosis and read brendan's book well so i i'd always eaten i guess you'd call it the standard american diet i mean i thought i was doing the healthiest version of it the teaching that i was doing in the high school I was teaching in was based on Canada's food guide, which is not different from the U.S. food recommendations, uh, which to me I thought made sense at the time. But after you read and read and learn and learn, uh, your eyes open up to this plant-based lifestyle and things completely change. I think that Mm -hmm. we weren't a standard American diet that we ate, it wasn't necessarily the same as what we see everybody else eating. You know, we, we didn't have 50, 60, 70, 100 pounds to lose. Right. Um, we still, we, we didn't eat out a ton. We still made all our food at home, but we incorporated all of the animal products that we had always been told that we were supposed to. 
So although we weren't always eating fried foods and, you know, we, despite our best efforts to be as healthy as possible, clearly if Adam would have been a window and not a door, we would have seen that it really wasn't helping. And that's a, that's a very important point because most of the transformation stories that we talk, we, we speak to these people all the time, we see them, they're all very overweight and it's very easy to see that they're sick. And I was never someone who was overweight. I was in shape, I was fit, I was active, I looked very healthy. But we don't see what's happening on the inside of the body. And one of our messages the major message, I think, is that we really want to help people make these changes before they have to, before it's too late, before someone they love is impacted in a negative way or passes away because of their lifestyle when it could have been prevented. And and that's something that we really try to get people to understand and it's very difficult to get people to understand that because making change is not an easy thing and if people don't want to make the change they're not going to so we all have choices that we can make we all can choose a better path we just need to make that decision and a lot of times people don't want to go there so um adam i'm going to go into the ye old hypotheticals what do you think your life would be like now if instead of finding Brendan Brazier's book, you had come upon a paleo book or, you know, one of those wheat belly grain brain kind of books? What's your prognosis? Well, I, I'm not, it's hard to tell, obviously. Um, I could tell you that the grain brain style of book was, not so far off where I was. I mean, our our son was had had really bad eczema when he was little, and we decided as well him and I I decided that we were going to go gluten free and stay away from all grains, and I did that for quite a while. And actually, his eczema his eczema did go away, uh, and it got a lot better, and that did help me with some stomach issues, but. Long term, I'm not sure that that would have been the solution. I mean, when a doctor tells you that you're probably not going to live past the age of 40, you know, you have to react. Had I gotten into the paleo lifestyle, I don't know if I... I mean, reading the books didn't just do it for me because it was the research from Dr. Esselstyn that I was reading. It was the China study from T. Colin Campbell that I was reading. It was watching Forks Over Knives and... They they all impacted me just as much as Brendan's book did. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's enough long-term research for paleo that's out there that would have made the impact on me that these books did and these documentaries did at the time. Mm-hmm. So Shoshana, did you just embrace this new way of eating immediately or was there a little bit of pushback? Well, as Adam talked about, he learned to be very disciplined um, from a young age. I didn't. (laughs) So um, he went overnight. He basically said, shush, I'm vegan now. And I said, is that some sort of vegetarian? I I, I kind of knew what it was, but I didn't really know what it was. He's like, I'm plant-based. I don't eat anything that's not plants. And I'm like, well, fish eat plants. Can you eat fish? And he's like, no. You know, all the, all the questions that, that people typically ask us now, I was kind of asking him. So I told him, I said, look, 
we just changed into a gluten-free diet. I'm a new mom. I'm, you know, I'm experiencing my own mental health issues. I can't handle this. Can you please eat fish once a week and chicken on Fridays, and we'll make it when we make it. And he didn't seem keen on it, but he said, okay. So I made the chicken on Friday, and he cut it, put it towards his face, put it down on the table, pushed it away, and said, it's not happening. Went to the fridge and made his own food. And I watched him do that, and I knew how important it was to him. And I knew that I can get there some way and some time, but it wasn't that day. So it took me about six or eight months to kind of catch up. Um, I did, you know, various vegetarian-type diets until I was able to fully embrace a plant-based diet. But I always supported him in his choice once he pushed that piece of chicken away. Um, It was just very overwhelming for me, and I understand how overwhelming it is for other people as well. Yeah. So what recommendations would you have for someone who, who is vegan, plant-based, and in a relationship? So if someone's already vegan, plant-based, and they're getting into a new relationship, I think, it, I think there's enough pressure on new relationships already that um, you know, making those compromises, going to the omnivore restaurants and ordering something that is vegan, plant-based, something that will suit you, Um, not making a big deal out of it and not really imposing your values on your new partner Um, because, you know, you want to test the waters and you want to make sure that this is the right person. And if it is the right person, the food won't be an issue. If the food is an issue, then it's not the right person. When you're already in the relationship, it's different because, you know, you're kind of already stuck together. You know, maybe you've already said your vows. Maybe you already have children. Maybe, you know, you already have a house together. There's all of these different things that come into play. Um, And everybody has a different personality. I think we know our own personalities. We know our partner's personalities. But when we're not coming from a place of, hatred towards them for what they might be doing that we don't approve of. When we don't come from a place of pressure, it really does help. Adam said, look, I'm going to feed you all the books and all the documentaries, and I'd love for you to watch this documentary with me. And we sat down and we watched Forks Over Knives. And he's like, I will make my own food until, you know, until you're ready or you know, we can make a lot of our side dishes all plant-based. And he said, you'll get there when you get there. And because he was so accommodating to that, I didn't feel like I had my back up against the wall and, you know, my, my porcupine pricks didn't come out. I think it was, I think it was important for me to take care of myself first at that time. And it was something new and for me to push it on Shoshana would not have been the right thing to do. And in her time, I knew that she would either see the results I was having and see the change in me and how positive they were. And once I saw that second retinal exam, I mean, it was obvious that there was a huge impact that the nutrition was making on my life. And how how could you not want to make a change just from seeing those kind of results? And so I, I just thought that if it happens to me, then she's going to want to be a part of that. And that's pretty much how it went. Mm. That's really well, and it sounds like it. you, Adam, just did it beautifully it, in terms of just allowing Shoshana to come along at her own pace. I think it's respect. And that's, you know, that's the message to those other people who are, who are in that same position. Have respect for the person. Um, do, you know, you don't need to feed them, 
information down their throat every three minutes. Um, but give them information slowly when they're ready for it and be patient with them and be understanding and set an example. So from where you guys are, are looking, and I know geographically you're in Toronto, so I don't really mean where in that way, but just as you look at Western society and culture and what's going on with people's health, what do you think is keeping people from living the healthiest lives they can? I definitely think that we're in fast-paced societies. We're looking for instant gratification. Uh, we, we value money, and we want to have more of it, and we're doing everything we can. And people are just so busy. So I think a lot of the time it comes down to what's easy, what's in front of us. But I also think that we haven't been educated properly. We don't, you know, people say when we first went plant-based, I could remember um, my brother-in-law sitting at the table and saying, well, where's the research on that? There's no research on that. And I'm like, there is research on that. Just people don't know about it. People haven't heard about it. We've been told to do things a certain way. It, it's an ideology. Um, and it's not based on the true facts. So when we combine those two things, it makes it really hard to make good decisions. I think that people don't realize that a lot of deaths are able to be prevented. I mean, every seven minutes, someone's dying in Canada of heart disease, and one out of every three deaths in the United States is caused by heart disease every year. And these are, heart disease can be prevented. I mean, look up Dr. Esselstyn for those listeners that don't know who he is, if that's even possible, and learn about it. But we, I think that the future is bright and there's been a lot of change and a lot of people are starting to catch on to this lifestyle, this plant-based lifestyle that's out there and available. And with all the documentaries and all the social media, it's, I have young teenagers coming up to me and asking questions and wanting to know about it and they're interested. So there's hope and the future's bright for the young population that want to really thrive throughout their lifetime and improve their quality of life and be able to do everything they want to do for a very, very long time. That does sound like a bright future. So really quickly, we've got about 30 seconds. I just want to know what you guys had for lunch today before we go to break. Oh, that is a really difficult question. We're Jewish, and today is Yom Kippur. And today's, ah. actually, today's actually our fast day. But yesterday, what did we have for lunch yesterday? Yesterday, Adam had a beautiful tempeh sandwich with all different colored vegetables all around. Um, I had some eggplant and tomato salad with some green salad as well. And it was beautiful and delicious and flavorful. It sounds amazing. Everybody stay with us. We'll be back with more Food for Thought with Adam and Shoshana right after this break. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm. As we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation. Remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment. Unity founder Charles Fillmore is quoted as saying, Here is a mental treatment guaranteed to cure every ill. Sit for half an hour every night and mentally forgive everyone against whom you have any ill will. The act of forgiveness is powerful medicine. Is there someone in your life that you can work on forgiving? Try this exercise tonight. To forgive is to set yourself free. Find out more about Unity at unity.org. Discover Unity Village, and you'll find a peaceful oasis just 15 miles from downtown Kansas City, Missouri. If you're doing business in the area or looking for the perfect place for your retreat or conference, check out all that Unity Village has to offer. With 1,200 wooded acres, a beautiful nature trail, award-winning rose garden, golf course, and newly redesigned hotel and conference center, Unity Village has everything you need for that perfect event. Go to unityvillage.org to find out more. Discover how to connect with our loved ones on the other side with Suzanne Giesman and Messages of Hope. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central as Suzanne shares evidence that love never dies. An evidential medium, spiritual teacher, and author, Suzanne brings hope and healing through her gift of communication with those who have passed. Suzanne brings messages of hope and love that go straight to the heart. Tune in this Thursday right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Everybody, thanks for being part of the show today and being part of this wonderful conversation with Adam and Shoshona Hayam, who are just living the life up there in Toronto. And speaking of Toronto, the PhD vegan dietitian who uh, created Complement, our 
sponsoring product with the Meat Free Athlete, um, Matt Frazier, is Pamela Ferguson, PhD. And the two of them have come up with this wonderful supplement that's just a spray, a simple little spray, and you can get your B12, your D3, and your fully formed omega-3 fatty acids. If that sounds like something good to you, take a look, alpineorganics.co. And if you want to get some for your very own, you can put Main Street Vegan in all caps in the discount code box and get yourself 10% off. So lovely shout out to the compliment people. Thank you for being part of the Main Street Vegan family. And thank you listeners for being part of this family and Unity Online Radio, who's so Good to us, Louie and Jeff, our wonderful engineers out there in Missouri, where I was last week. But this is today. This is now, and we are making progress in the here and now with today's guests. Now, Adam and Shoshana can be found at planttrainers.com, and both words are spelled out, so there's two T's right there in the middle. Plant Trainers Podcast on Facebook, Plant Trainers on both Twitter and Instagram. They have a YouTube channel as well, and we will put all of their URLs on the show notes at Main Street. Um, I'm sorry, at MainStreetVegan.net, where you just click to get your little drop-down menu, and you'll find the show notes. So, Shoshana, you guys are raising a family this way. But you already had at least one child before it started. So what was that transition like? So actually, we by the time Added had decided um, to go plant-based, our daughter was already born. But she was a lot younger. So our son was a little bit older. He was probably around three, three and a half at the time of our transition. And our transition didn't really affect him at the beginning. We changed what we were eating. Adam changed what he ate. I started to become vegetarian. I was still cooking meat for the kids in the house, even though I wasn't eating it. And then I stopped doing that, but they were still eating it with my parents or if we were out for dinner with grandparents or at other people's houses. So it was really, really slow for them. Uh, they were vegetarian for a while after I had become completely plant-based vegan. And part of the reason for that was because I was scared. I didn't know what I needed to feed them. I didn't understand that they can get everything that they needed and grow uh, on a plant-based diet with a vegan diet. And for me, although I had read the research, I had you know read the books, that, watched the documentaries, I think there was still something in the back of my head that was making me think that this was a little bit risky, but I was willing to risk it on myself. I wasn't willing to risk it on my children. So their transition was quite slow. But what I, need, what I know that I needed to do was get the education properly. I was a teacher at the time, and I just knew that education would help me feel more confident. So I learned exactly what adults needed, exactly what children needed, exactly that it, everybody can thrive on a vegan plant-based diet. And I eventually began to um, you know, transition them a little bit more. And they, all they had left was eggs and a little bit of dairy. And... I, they'd come to me and they'd said, Mommy, and I'm, he must have been five and she must have been three, and they said, Mommy, we don't want to eat eggs anymore. Oh. Stop making us eggs for dinner. We're not going to eat them anymore. And I was kind of happy and kind of shocked, 
And I said, well, you understand that if I take away an eggs, because I was making them eggs two or three times a week because it was easy because it, it did have protein and whatever it was, right? Um, I said, but then all the baked goods and breads and cupcakes that you eat that have egg in them, if we find a cupcake that has egg in it, we can't eat those anymore and you can't eat the bread anymore. We have to find other ones. And they said, that's okay. I said, you might be with your friends. They might be eating a cookie and you might not be able to have it. And they said, that's okay. So I said, well, you know what? If we're taking away eggs, we're going to take away the dairy that you eat now and I'll buy some different kind of dairy product that are imitating the ones that you eat now, some other cheeses and shreds, and you'll see if you like those. Um, because if we're going to take away eggs, then we may as well be completely completely plant-based with you as well. And um, that's kind of how it happened. I kind of spoke to them like adults. Well, and it sounds like they spoke to you like adults. Where yeah. do you think this we don't want to eat eggs anymore came from? I think they started asking a lot more questions and they understood that the chicken that they used to eat or that our family members were eating were actually chickens um, and, you know, the the meat was actually cows and sheep and, and I think they made that connection. I think they also lost, they were eating so many fruits and vegetables and grains and real foods that come from the earth that Maybe their palate, you know how we always tell people, your palate will change. You will begin to appreciate these plant foods that you may not have appreciated before. Maybe their palates had just changed and they couldn't appreciate the animal products anymore. Wow. So have you remained gluten-free as a family? We did remain gluten-free for quite a long time. And then Adam travels Europe in the summer and he decided to give some European gluten a go because the breads and and all, all those beautiful foods that you pizzas that you can get out there, of course, with no cheese. Um, and he came back one summer and said, you know what, I was okay out there. So we started to slowly incorporate a little bit more um, wheat back into our diet, except for my son, because he had shown signs of being allergic. And all three of us are okay with it. Um, but our son can have some gluten from time to time. If he has too much gluten, we see there are some symptoms, but his gut has really, really healed over over the years, and he can tolerate it so much better now. All of our website, all of our recipes on our website are completely gluten-free and will always be um, gluten-free as well as, as plant-based vegan because we know how hard it is for people to be in that situation. Yes, and I think so many people think that if they have to be gluten-free, they can't be vegan because you just can't give up everything <laughs> instead of looking at the vastness of the plant kingdom and seeing, you know, you could cut out quite a bit of stuff and there would be a lot left. And I did also say to them, you know, if, if you're not going to eat eggs anymore, there are certain nutrients that you need to get. So you're going to see a lot more beans on the table that you're going to have to be putting on your plate and trying and eating more. And they agreed to do that as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like it would be really, really fun to be growing up in your family. So give us some tips. Other parents, we've got kids, we've got grandchildren. What are we going to do to influence them to uh, eat healthier? Victoria, I think Shoshana just painted a very beautiful <laughs> picture of how our family was over those years. And for the listeners, I think we need to clarify that it was not all easy as it sounded. And the kids, yes, they were interested, but putting the food on the table, like just putting the beans there, like you, like she mentioned, they didn't just grab them and eat them. You know, it, it took a while 
for them to buy into eating more foods, eating more plants, and being more open to it. And I think that everybody listening needs to understand that it's it's not going to happen overnight, and it takes time, and you need to put those new foods in front of these kids 10 to 15 times before they're even going to go for it. And once they do, they'll take a little bit, and then maybe next time a little bit more. And maybe the time after that, they'll start to say, you know what, this is not so bad, and they'll start to eat more of it. So I just wanted to make sure everybody understood that that picture was not so pretty. <laughs> Real life. And, and I appreciate your uh, giving a, a nod to that. So how about kids and extended family, other kids and extended family? Do you get any pushback from them or is it pretty smooth? Now it's smooth, but but it was definitely the opposite of that pretty picture that I painted just before. We we got a lot of pushback at the beginning. You don't know what you're doing. They're not their brains are not going to develop. They're not going to be as tall as everybody else. Um, it, this is ridiculous. We're meant to eat meat. Um, there should be meat at every meal. We got we got all of that from our from our friends from our family, and it was. It was hard to deal with, and I think that's part of the reason also, like I said before, I needed to get educated. I needed to say, you know, if I could show them this, like, this certificate, but look, I completed this course, and I know what I'm doing, and I know, I understand the basics of it, and I know what a complete protein is, and all of these different kinds of things, then it it made it harder for them to come back at me because I had the answers. They just had ideas. They just had things that they had heard. When, when people say to me, they say to do this, my question is, well, who are they and what is it based on? You know, or that's great. Can you please show me the research? I'd love to read it and compare it to what I have. And usually people can't do that because they, they're going based on what we've just always known. And I don't blame them for that, and I don't have any ill feelings towards that. But uh, we did get quite a bit of pushback at the beginning, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, now, of course, you're an authority because you have written the Yummy Foods Activity Book for kids. So (laughs) you've written the book. So tell us about that. We had a lot of fun doing that. We love the name because it always makes us laugh and smile. Um, What we really wanted to do is we wanted to concentrate on food literacy. We I, before I got into health coaching, I was a full-time teacher. Adam's still a full-time health and phys ed teacher as, along with his coaching as well. And we really wanted to, to go grassroots and really make sure that kids at a young age had an appreciation for the foods that they were eating, um, tried, you know, we have so many picky eaters. I deal with so many parents who are picky eaters these days, who have children who are picky eaters. We wanted children to really understand where food comes from, how it affects their body, where it's grown, what a carrot looks like when it's growing in the ground, what is a duran, what are all these amazing, beautiful foods, and how to utilize them. So we put together a book that has puzzles. So we're talking about word searches, wonder words, fill in the blanks, um, Mad Lib type activities so that they can play but also learn. And there's little paragraphs on the side that they have to read before they can go ahead and fill in the blanks. So they're constantly learning. But it also, we made it a little bit difficult so that sometimes they have to go to their parents or their guardians and ask for help 
and look things up or go to the grocery store to see what something actually looks like so that it invites a conversation so that it gets the whole family eating healthier. And, of course, there's recipes at the back. We just really want to empower children. We find that what we're doing a lot in our coaching is helping people who have become sick um, get better and spend their really good years, their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s getting better instead of teaching children to just grow up and not have to deal with all of this that we're dealing with. And we want to give that gift to everybody's children. Oh, that's a beautiful gift. Where can we get the book? It's available on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon, whether you're in Canada or the U.S., and you just Google, or sorry, just fill in the Yummy Foods Activity Book or Adam and Shoshana Chaim, whatever it is that you put in there will come up. You can also get it on our website at planttrainers.com. And if you go to the the shop, there's a link there as well. Okay, and and pardon me for mispronouncing your last name. I should have asked you that before we went on the air. So let us move from food, as fabulous as it is, into the fitness piece. And I was really interested that, Adam, you said you grew up with all this discipline, playing sports and everything. And Shoshana, you said you didn't, and I'm in your camp. So I feel like every day I have to re- rear myself in terms of exercise. It's like, you know, I'm a little kid in terms of, I don't want to do that. So what do you do with somebody like me, or maybe somebody like Shoshana in the early days? (laughs) Get us fit. So that's, that's one of the biggest challenges is I can't get you fit. I could show you the way, I could pave a path for you, but you're the one who's actually going to have to walk down that path. You're the one who's going to actually have to make that decision that this is something you want to do. And whether you walk down that path, run down that path, cycle, swim, it doesn't matter. It's all about finding an activity that you like to participate in, and that's what's going to hold you to it. If you find something that you enjoy you're going to be that much more likely to want to do it. And it doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be uh, an Ironman triathlon. It doesn't have to be running a marathon. It could be walking around the block. You know, it, it doesn't need to have this big title to it, but finding something that's going to get your body moving because we know, we've learned that being sedentary has become uh, an epidemic. It's a huge problem leading to so many chronic illnesses and diseases these days, and we need to get society moving. So finding an activity that you enjoy, just get started at it. Put one shoe on at a time and walk out your door. It's that simple. And it sounds easy, and I know for many it's not, but it's really about getting yourself going. I once had a client where where we needed to start was with walking, but we walked in the house. Well, I didn't, but she walked in the house. So her goal was to walk up and down the hallway five times before she sat back down, and then we went to ten times, and then she left the house and she walked around her house. So everybody's going to start in a different place. Um, You know, if I go out for a walk, I might walk at a really fast pace, and I might be out there for 45 minutes, and we might call that walking, and people say, well, walking is easy. But if you don't have no background, if you have health issues, if, you're, um, if your joints aren't able to carry the weight on your body, then you've really got to start with what's safe for you. And so mm-hmm. what's enjoyable but also what's safe is really important. 
Well, what I find that old Nike thing about just do it was actually quite brilliant because there are times when I almost like it. Most days I don't like it, but I just do it. And then I at least feel like I have paid my dues for breathing another day on earth. Absolutely. And I think time gets gets people hung up a lot. Do I, I don't have the time to do it. There's no time to do it. But the truth is, is we can always find time. You know, you can leave your bags in the car when you get home from work and walk around the block two times before you go in to make dinner. And that way you know that it's done. You could wake up a little bit earlier in the morning. If you have time to watch TV, you have time to work out. Um, You could sacrifice one for the other or you can try to do them both at the same time. There's always a way, but sometimes we need that extra push. We need that third party to look in and say, okay, well, look at your schedule here. Do you think we can make something happen? And you need to feel accountable too. Yes. So is there research that ties the plant-based diet with uh, fitness, with athletic success? Does it help? Do they come hand in glove? There has been so much evidence about the speed of recovery and how the plant-based lifestyle is an anti-inflammatory way of eating. It allows your body to heal itself so much faster. And more and more professional athletes these days are finding out about a plant-based lifestyle. I mean, half the Tennessee Titans in the NFL right now are on a plant-based diet. And the reason is that the recovery is so much faster, which allows you to get back to your activity that much quicker which means your body can grow and develop that much faster. And it's improving performance across the board. I've yet to meet somebody who's eating plants who is having a difficult time performing athletically or improving their level of fitness. Every single person I've encountered or spoken to or seen has improved their performance on every single level of fitness. So in your own case, you talked about switching from team sports into these personal endurance kinds of sports. So just for somebody looking to be healthy, should they find a soccer team or should they look at those individual sports? I I think it comes back to what they enjoy doing. If soccer is what they love to play, then yeah, go play soccer. If you find interest in running, try to run a little bit further. It's really going to be all about what that individual likes because this is not a one-size-fits-all kind of lifestyle. You could turn it into anything you want it to be. I don't, I don't think Adam meant to say that team sports was keeping him unhealthy, but right. I, think, I think as part of his healing process and dealing with the fact that he was really worried that I, I would have to raise our family alone, he needed time for meditation. He needed time for self-thought. He needed time where he wasn't, you know, checking people up against the boards and people checking him. He needed more calm and peace in his life. And that's why endurance sports was so important to him because he could swim, he could run, he could think, he could listen to his feet hitting the pavement. That's what worked for him. That was part of his journey. Mm. So I also wanted to ask, were there other things? I mean, you've brought in this meditative aspect now. Were were there other sort of holistic practices that were part of your recovery that are part of your family's lifestyle? 
not so much in that first year, not so much in that time where we said, hey, you know, we're, we're just doing this. But once that tumor shrunk, once we were able to see that his arteries had opened back up, it really made us look at what had we been doing before that we thought was okay, that was really making us unhealthy. And if Adam was unhealthy in that way, what was happening inside of my body? And I did suffer some PTSD because of, um, you know, thinking that, thinking that I was going to have to raise a family and maybe even have a child alone. Um, so we... As, as I educated myself on, on food and I had already been a personal trainer, I was just like, what else can we do? And naturally, all these other things come up, compassion for the world, compassion for other animals, um, less toxins or no toxins in the cosmetics that we use, in the soaps that we use in the house, the cleaners that we're using to clean the floor and allowing the children to go and crawl and play on them. All of that kind of came together. I think if somebody tried to do that all at once, it would be extremely overwhelming. Uh, but it was just a natural flow, and all of those things have been developing over the years for us. Well, it sounds like an absolutely beautiful life. And you, you mentioned your Judaism in the last segment, and that inspired me to let all of our listeners know about the most wonderful little document. It's called What's Jewish About Veg?, Plant-Based Eating is Rooted in Judaism, and this comes from Jewish Veg, and it's it's kind of a cartoon. It, it's like a, a comic book style with pictures and, you know, little words in the bubbles and that sort of thing, and it's really great. This is a wonderful little publication, I think, for people of any age, and I think people of any faith. I don't happen to be Jewish myself, but I really, really am appreciating this. So if you're interested in getting yourself a copy of that, contact the good people at jewishveg.org. So yeah. I'll just finish uh, here. Well, we're not quite finished, but I think when people have lots of good things to say, the finish seems to come sooner than it ought to. Do, do you have a connection with your Judaism or your spiritual life and your new way of eating and living? That, that's, that's a loaded question, and you haven't left enough time for that, Victoria. Um, <laughs> we've, we've gone back and forth over the years. We're, we're, we will always identify as Jewish. Um, we will always want to raise our children in that way as well. And we love, you know, how you mentioned, you know, the, the Jewish the Jewish veg. We, we love how what they're doing and what they're connecting with. There's been times where we've actually been really disappointed in our religion when it comes to Passover where you can't eat the foods that you normally eat during the week and you have to buy all these pas- packaged foods and they have to be kosher for Passover and we're not allowed to eat grains and we're not allowed to eat lentils and beans and but we can go to the store and buy potato starch, sugary, you know, Fruit Loop type things that are kosher for Passover, where we've been saying, you know, what, what's the business aspect of this and how is this hindering our health instead of helping us thrive? But then there's also been some really lovely, lovely opportunities to connect more with Judaism, how right now in the news we see more and more rabbis, high rabbis, claiming that vegan is the new kosher. And to actually be 100% sure that your food is kosher, eating vegan is, is one of the best ways to do that. And Israel has the highest, I think they're at 7% now, the highest per capita um, percentage number of vegans. Number of vegans. Um, so it, our, our, our culture and our religion is embracing it more and more, which is bringing us back to a lot of our, our roots. That's beautiful. 
I, I just, I believe that veganism is very healing for people's bodies, but also for people's lives. I think it can be healing for families, even though it can look divisive in the beginning. And, and I think it just kind of helps people um, make peace and come to a, a relationship with their traditions that can just be very sweet. So I love hearing that from you. So in our last minute and a half, what should we be doing? What have you not told us yet today that would just make everybody listening to this healthier and happier and more at peace? I think somehow we skipped over that question that you had asked, asking us what to do to get our children on board. So I think that if you're just looking to get into a vegan lifestyle um, and get bring your children on board, start to look at the foods that you buy already and you know, change it one snack at a time. If you're buying granola bars, find the vegan ones. If you're buying chips, make sure that they have no milk in it. Um, if you buy packaged foods, check out the ingredients. Try to make, if you make a chili, keep the chili the same, but use lentils instead of the, the ground beef. Try to keep things the same so you're not shocking everybody, but you're kind of bringing them over slowly. But really make sure that you're willing to to go the distance you know just like you're going to follow a religion or save up for a trip that you want or learn or teach your kids to learn to ride a bike make the decision that we are going to go vegan we are going to go plant-based and then start taking these little steps to get there and, and lead by example let your kids see you and help you in the kitchen and they're going to want to do it more and more and when it comes to the fitness side of things just remember that you could do anything that you make that choice to do. You just have to I'm, decide to do it. I'm going to take that with me. Thank you both so, so much, the plant trainers. Next week, Earthling Ed. Be sure to tune in. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.